Welcome to the show. This is Disco Posse Podcast host, Eric Wright. Thank you very much for listening. We've had an amazing 2021 as far as the podcast uh, listenership and, and really great responses. So thank you all for coming along for the ride. This is a perfect, really neat, soulful ending to the year with the show featuring Charlie Cope. Charlie is a singer, songwriter, and his brand new album, Americana, or Whatever's Left, has just been released. So this is a really cool opportunity to share in a storytelling experience through the power of music. I was really happy with the discussion I had with Charlie, so I hope you love this as much as I did, and it even features some actual live music, or at least it was live when we recorded it, while it is not uh, as as awesome as his album, which you'll have links to the Spotify and, and ways to listen to Charlie's music, I definitely recommend. So hang tight, listen to the the song and the whole story. Charlie's got such a fantastic story. That's an absolute must listen. And speaking of must listen, please just take a second to think about what you need to do as far as supporting this podcast and supporting the great people that make this happen and support yourself in your own safety when it comes to data protection to information protection to info security ransomware protection this is the way to do it you can visit my fine friends over at veeam software they've been super cool not only in the amazing platform that they offer which you can find of course by going to vee.am forward slash disco posse on top of that they're a great team and they really really are doing some fantastic stuff around cloud protection around on-premises data protection, physical servers, cloud native with their cast and offering, much more around SaaS, things like Teams and SharePoint. You need to protect your stuff. It, it's just, it's real, right? Ransomware and all this crazy stuff is real. So go check it out. Go to vee.am forward slash disco posse. And also protect your data in flight while you're traveling around or even while you're sitting at home. There are incredible amounts of risk in just your data being picked up, your identity being captured. A really, really great way to solve that is to use a VPN. I'm a user of ExpressVPN, so I highly recommend it. And I'm really, really happy that they're also supporters. So if you want to check that out, you can head over to tryexpressvpn.com forward slash Disco Posse. And uh, all right, let's get to the good stuff. This is Charlie Cope. Hey, this is Charlie Cope, and you're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast. So for the folks that are new to you, if you want to do me a favor, give a quick little bio. Uh, we're going to talk about the new album. We're going to talk about the industry in general and touring in a pandemic. And this is a lot of craziness that you've got to deal with right now. But uh, yeah, give us give us the give us the elevator pitch and why people. And I'm telling you, there's links below, but people need to get your album. It is wicked good. Well, thank you. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Charlie Cope. I'm an Americana singer based out of Texas. Uh, singer songwriter. I write all my own songs, and a couple of them are co-writes. And uh, I, uh, like you said, I've been touring a lot, especially during the pandemic. And this album uh, took me seven years to release, to write, and create, and 
live. And uh, I'm hoping that a couple of people that have heard these songs might have heard, you know, live through similar situations that may may need a little bit more understanding in life, that need to feel a little bit less alone, might hear these songs and uh, feel a little, a little less alone in the world and maybe get a little connection between me and them and a couple uh, fun stopping catchy songs along the way. It's just a bonus. Well, and it's funny that you bring this up, right? Like the, the Americana style and your roots in that really, really come out. And, and it's funny, I grew up as a kid, like it's just nothing but highwayman records. And yeah. you know, so I grew up with Waylon and Willie and like the classic stuff. My dad was really digging that. The only guy that worked in the tech industry that had cowboy boots, you know, it was, it was kind of wild that, you know, I had this really diverse set of, influences and when i started playing my own music it was funny because it comes out in this really strange diversity of my background of listening and then my playing would swing and move around now far be it from you know me saying i'm a musician relative to to the work that you've done and, and how much you've created but it's it gives me a super really good appreciation of bringing it through and maintaining your voice but hearing the roots of it, it really just, it hits home to uh, to folks like me who grew up with a lot of that stuff. Appreciate it, yeah. I I also grew up on that uh, Willie and Waylon and the boys. You know, uh, uh, when I was younger, I wanted to sing like Waylon Jennings. And I wanted to write uh, music like Merle Haggard and lyrics like Chris Christopherson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, obviously back then it was all you know country stuff. Now it's a little bit more diverse, you know, Americana, you know. Uh, and like like you said, kind of a little bit of everything. Well, and this is the thing, maybe to set the stage for folks that are fresh to the the phrase, right? Because we we went through like you know classic country, and then there was new country, and the new country is not new anymore because it's old new country, and you had that sort of wave of of the next generation of it, and then Americana is this beautiful sort of, you know, almost like a throwback, but it's just a reminder of, to the origins of of the whole the whole genre. Yeah. So um, Americana music is basically just kind of everything old school kind of put in pot and mixed together uh it's like a little bit of folk bluegrass rock and roll blues country like you said um and i try to i try to touch on every every side of it as i could in this album you know starting with what about you obviously being a very big rock song and uh into like uh you somebody which is pretty pretty country kind of folky uh, if your grandparents listen to it so it's like yeah, the, in the yeah. ah yeah yeah well that's the the interesting thing of the the music and and the lyrics as a combination the stories are super strong and and it's amazing i've always found that like there's so much stuff out there today in the sort of traditional, like serious, you know, hits one crowd, God bless them. Right. They're, they're doing, they're making money and they're, they're supporting the business, but it's just, I, I never found, I don't even know the lyrics to any of the songs because you don't need to, you just need to know the hook and, and, and it's, it's catchy. But what I found with 
with listening to your your songs is you really genuinely listen to the story and then and the more i play it the more it's like you feel like that like emo kid listen to the words man because yeah. <laughs> it actually it does have a real true start you know middle finish as a storyteller this is exciting to me that you can do it and and also again diversity of styles like you said you got some stuff that's more towards rock and then you've got the those real cool sort of bluegrass tones that are in there yeah thank you yeah um a lot of people ask me like where like the the, the genres came from and like that you know the bluegrass the rock and the, the everything you know and uh i mean hell right now i'm wearing a, a david bowie t-shirt and nice. um <laughs> uh, it was that style really came from uh because i wanted to tell a story like you said uh, but not just with the lyrics, also with the music itself. So taking, you know, What About You, the first song on the record, which is by far the most popular, um, it, it, um, it's kind of in the key of C, kind of not, because it never, I, I don't want to talk too musician-wise and people that aren't musicians not understand, but it never really ends on a C major. So it never really has like a period. It's almost like you're you're just talking for, Ever and ever, and I felt like that that builds anxiety, and that's what I wanted to infer in that song, and tell a story without the lyrics, and then with the lyrics, and then make them kind of come together, um, and sometimes even make them say two different things at once. Wait, and it the the sort of the walking style of the story along with about it reminded me even like like the stones faraway eyes was always one of those ones where it just has this beautiful rolling back tone like you almost picture just like this like the movie set going by behind them and that's what the music is and then the story and then it comes into the hook and then you're in a song again and then it goes back to story and i love that interplay and the style yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I also, so I didn't want to just have, you know, a bunch of, I didn't just want to have uh, 14 stories. I wanted one big story. And so it was, it, it's not really more 14 stories. It's more like um, 14 chapters of the story. So there's different parts. And as you, as you go through it, it gets more, uh, word I'm looking for, it gets more mature as it goes through. Cause, uh, all my best songs are true stories. I've written around 1,500 to 2,000 songs now, and, and all my wow. best ones. <laughs> um, you know, I've, so when you've written that many, you've written them every which way but loose. Uh, and but my best ones are always true stories. And you know, I was looking at them and trying to figure out what I was going to do for this album you know, years ago. And I was like, well, something just hit me. If I'm gonna, all my best songs are true stories, and I'm gonna sing about anything. Well, then I know exactly what I'm going to sing about. And uh, then I set out to, uh, I think it was Prince or Michael Jackson that said, um, if they would release an album with 12 songs, they'd write 120. <laughs> yes. Well, I figured, well, I'm, I'm no Prince and I'm no Michael Jackson. So I wrote 1200 and I wanted to pick the top 12 and it ended up being 14. Uh, well, that's an interesting thing to talk about the process of, choosing the order because this is you know there's this sort of this amalgam of music you've got in your in your back catalog it's in your head and you've played it everywhere and it's in notebooks all over and you know snippets of recordings and to really bring it together as both individually small stories and then 
the the real true overplay of this story throughout as a theme and it's not easy what what's that you know how how do you approach that whole process with the truth it's the it's the best way to do it um i really believe in putting emotion and soul and heart and soul into what i do uh really anything i do and um i knew if and at first it was like, I got to make a new album. I got to do this when I was younger. And then, you know, I grew up a little bit and uh, it wasn't so much I need to make an album. It was I need to I need to tell a story. And that that story was really the the heart and soul of it. Um, and that was really just, you know, a big part of my life growing up, especially because like now I'm only 20 years old. And uh, of course, this has taken so long to create. And that's why I say seven years. Uh, because that's the span that I lived this from. So um, it, for the most part, it wasn't that hard getting the the order down just because it was like, okay, well this happened and this happened, and this happened. There was a few things I had to mix around in order to make more, to make it less complicated. Um, but that was relatively easier, but writing and rewriting and rewriting again, all these songs in order to make it you know, make the number two connect with number eight more and have, you know, this come back at this and um, have this guitar riff and slipping away, match the violin, the trumpet riff and putting myself through and and all this sort of thing. And it all it all had artistic, you know, symbolism and meant something. It wasn't just there to be cool. It all meant something. That was that was definitely a lot harder than picking the, the order. What you you're interesting that you've mixed a lot of dynamics of sound in and like instrument selection. You got fantastic players who are are supporting you through this, and uh, I saw some of the like making of recording stuff, and it's like especially recording and producing and mixing down during pandemic while touring and all the stuff going on it's a very different process than just kind of you know seven guys going into a studio for for nine straight days and just banging it out like it's this a laborious process and uh but i love the mix so what what makes you bring those different instrument sounds and those different styles in well um well, like you said, the musicians are they're amazing. Uh, most of them are the other guys, my backing band, and uh, there's a few extended members. We call those the other other guys, and uh, they're all they're all fantastic musicians. Uh, but like I said earlier, they all have have meanings. So, like, um, uh, for example, uh, the horns are more triumphant. That's what they're trying to symbolize triumphantness. And so, like in Big River to Cross, for example, there's the big horn section that comes in on that song, and that's supposed to seem like uh there was big river to cross mean like we have to like we have to break up and we have to end this and move on with our lives and like this big goal that we've been trying to accomplish for so long and then we finally do and then um i had also been putting myself through as a uh, also uh, it wasn't a full horn section it was a much smaller it was just a trumpet but uh that also had symbolism with the you know growing and maturity same way with like uh the rock and roll kind of uh, there's sirens in my background. That's uh, <laughs> so always a good sign. <laughs> yeah. Living in a college town. Yeah, it, it happens. 
Um, yeah, it's a sound you hear more often than you'd hope. <laughs> yeah. But uh, like the uh, the rock and roll side and like, and, you know, Let Me Go Easy and like the guitar solo, uh, Whiskey and Talking, uh, a lot of that was very uh, kind of like a battle between good and evil. And also, had, depending on what part it is, it also symbolizes immaturity, you know, and growing up, you know, and this story started when I was about 13. And, you know, this album, where it ended, I was 18. So there's a lot of immaturity there. Um, like I said, you know, I try to be as honest as humanly possible in this album. And uh, I think it, I think it definitely, uh, I think it definitely helped being honest. You're, you're wise beyond your years in the way that it comes through. And it's, it's always amazing to hear like just the, the strength and the, the depth of your voice. But the, more than that, like that, sometimes you can, like you could get away with just pure raw talent, like just the the physical talent of singing is one thing, but there's an emotion that's buried inside it, and it's hard. Like when you think most of the folks that you see that are you know blues artists, they 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 got a few decades of hurt in them, <laughs> so for you to come at it and to be able to give this kind of storytelling, and to have you know, seven years in uh, at age 20, it's a pretty heroic amount of work that you've been doing to put this stuff together. How, so 13, I, I imagine it was probably buried in you long before even 13. Uh, you know, I've always, I've always wanted to be a musician as long as I can remember. Uh, it was pretty highly discouraged uh, from you know, friends and family, as I think was would probably be wise, you know. <laughs> it, it's not... It is now, but starting out wasn't the most lucrative job, wasn't the safest job by far. And a lot, you know, I know I'm in the vast, vast minority of musicians that can actually, you know, make a living and then some. So, uh, and for a pretty long time, I wasn't. So uh, it's nothing, nothing against anybody that said I wouldn't be able to make it or anything like that. Totally, totally cool. It worked out for the best for me. So uh, uh, I've always wanted to be one. And I just kind of put it off. I was also really shy. I've always had problems with self-confidence. I uh, still do. And just like, well, if they can't make it, there's no way I could ever make it. Um, so I just kind of put it off for a really long time. But it was always there. And then uh, I guess when I started, uh, when I was 13, and I kind of started, you know, uh, falling in love with this one girl. And that was just kind of the whole story of an on-again, off-again relationship, uh, especially being, trying to keep it, uh, under wraps, not being able to talk to anyone because you know, a secret. Um, it's you know, I guess uh, art is a great way for for your own therapy. So it was it was almost just like I needed to get it out somehow, and a great way is to pretend like I made it up. <laughs> yeah, that's the always the funny part. You, know, you people don't realize how much truth is buried in those words that you're probably not supposed to reveal. And it's like you're oh, like, yeah. oh yeah, most of it's made up, you know, except for <laughs> the parts that are all real. The yeah. I always appreciate whenever Taylor Swift gets into a relationship. I'm all right, two years to a new album. This is yeah. fantastic. <laughs> She's <laughs> seems to be this wave of like good relationship realize it doesn't you know sadly i shouldn't make fun of it you know because it's that it, it is unfortunately a bit of a feeder for really fantastic stories and music because that emotion gets poured into it 
on that though the longevity of a song versus the longevity of the original emotion what do you feel about this idea that you're going to be playing songs that really meant something immediate and distinct when you were like 17 and you're going to carry that 10 15 20 years down the road you're going to bring those songs up and it's going to be a hit not the story of 17 year old charlie who is like suffering yeah um i've thought about that a lot like i think uh, i think it was joe walsh said uh, about one of his tunes i think uh that if i known that was going to be the song i'd sing for the rest of my life i would have written a different song <laughs> but, I thought about that a lot. Um, I I don't know because um, the story hasn't necessarily ended yet. So I'm kind of, even though you know the last song, best thing ever made that that part of the story ended when I was uh, 18 when I just graduated high school. So it hasn't really ended yet, and I totally thought it did. It totally did not. Um, <laughs> even it, you get surprised by the story sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, um, can't talk too much about this, but I did, um, when I was on tour, I was touring through Houston and I'm from a really small town near Houston. So I got to be in town and, uh, I was there and, you know, kind of, kind of all hit me back, you know, all those, those memories and stuff, you know, I drove by my old school and, you know, all those roads we used to, you know, sneak down in private, you know, uh, and uh those 30 miles an hour roads we all used to go 85 on um and uh all that sort of thing and even though it's changing a lot that really small town in just a very short amount of time um all those all those memories and feelings and even songs i forgot i wrote came back and uh when i actually got to meet again with some of these people and uh figured out that oh crap this story kept going uh because I actually met with uh, someone special um, a few times. And I remember that night I had a show because I got into an argument with her and I had a show in Houston, a really small joint. It was called the 202 Main, just in like Conroe outside of Houston. And I put on probably the best show I put on all year. I was just, you know, it was just a little one man show joint, but it was definitely in top five uh and i i've been look, looking back on that show like man i gotta do that again <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if that emotion's ever gonna go away you know every 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 time i sing these songs i think about you know how i wrote them how i felt after i wrote them how i feel about them now so uh, at least in the short span of time because i realize that could be a different story when i'm you know 40 years old but uh as of right now they haven't the emotions haven't gone away. I don't really see them going away anytime soon. Well, and this is where like the collaboration stuff comes in too, because there's a real emotion to pairing with somebody and co-writing and, and, you know, you can, you really hear it and feel their contribute contribution to it through that. I mean, I, I pulled on to old country roots too right i remember watching as a kid honeysuckle rose my my and i love that movie it's a uh, willie nelson which is basically like a biography of him you know this idea of going out on tour with a girl and but realizing his wife was like i was that girl 
and I see how you're looking at that girl now. So I know something's going on because I used to be, I was the one that took you from somebody else and I don't want you to do that to me. And one of the most, cause it's like, it's Willie's band. I always loved that he would just use his guys and, and, and watching this thing of the moment that they're on stage and then they connect and it's there. Like that emotion comes even with just connecting with the audience, with connecting with the drive on the way to the venue. And you're like, oh man, that's that pizza joint that we used to go to. And and I remember having this big argument out there and just like that, that kicks in and all of a sudden you're on stage and, and you close your eyes and that's it. That memory just takes over. Yeah, man. And you know, that's really, that's really why I'm doing this. I'm trying to connect with the audience. Like I said in the beginning, you know, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. So if I, if I can carry that emotion through uh, the rest of my career and into the audience and into the bands and everything, uh, well then I guess I, I guess I did something right. When you're performing, what is, how adaptive is the performance because you obviously, I mean, you you got it set up, right? You guys, you could there could be nobody in the room, and you could nail down the songs. Like so, you've you've already got the music's in you, the story's in you. You're ready to perform. You guys rehearsed. We like we everybody knows that it's fun, just like any job. It's like I know I can pull this off, but then situationally, things adjust. How much do you do things like move around set list or extend parts of the song? Like how how much do you like to mix that in? Oh, uh, a whole lot. I actually uh, try to never play the same song uh, the same way twice, especially with the band. I throw in extra verses. I th I put in new lyrics. Uh, that's more for like the acoustic stuff when there's not a whole lot else you can do. But uh, <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll modulate it. I'll add in extra instruments. Uh, take instruments out. Uh, I'll try to. I always make it fun. I always try to make it. Because I don't want people to think, you know, if I wanted to hear this song, I could just listen to his album on my phone. I, you know, go come out to the show and it's always different. It's always more fun. I'll get people's uh, names from the audience and I'll slip their names into the song just for the hell of it. Uh, um, I'll even write songs on the stage with the band. They'll be like, you give me a word. Okay, um, flowers, you give me a word, umbrella. All right, this one's called flowers and umbrellas. And we'll, and we'll <laughs> make something up. That's awesome. So it's always different, and the set lists are different every night, uh, which makes practices extremely hard, but it makes the shows extremely <laughs> fun. Well, and it's like I remember doing medleys when I was in, you know, we would, I would never want to play like a whole song. We would do our original stuff. And, and the funny thing is, so the, actually, the story, the name of, like disco posse where this came from so we were in this like heavy band and we were sort of like i would say toolish you know very melodic heavy music and then so you got that style and then what we would do is we would open our own band with our own band but we would put on like funky wigs and we would play <laughs> really heavy versions of disco songs and we would so i called it the disco posse and we would just play wild cherry and chic and just like me we're just rocking out with a seven string and it was a blast and then you would just go get a couple of drinks now you're relaxed then you play your original stuff and people really kind of 
you know, playing originals sometimes when you go into these small venues is a good sign to like, if you want to go to the bathroom, now's a great time because you're not going to know what the song sounds like. <laughs> but yeah. they would they would know that we were there twice and they would really kind of dig into it. But and that was the thing is playing stuff that was dynamic. You'd start to play and you'd see, you can see the room. You can feel it. Not like just the vibe wasn't right. And so we would switch up and just like go with it. And you had to know, you had to be ready to kind of throw away the set list because there's nothing worse than if you're just like, here, the next song on our list is, you know, X. And like people, if they didn't like the last one and this one sounds just like it, why in the hell are you playing that song? Yeah. <laughs> just make, figure out what they want to hear. You got to be able to adapt. When, if you were to say you're the first song that you played end to end that you you wanted the room to say check this out i learned this song what was the the one that that made you ready you're like this is it i'm a performer i learned this whole goddamn song <laughs> oh actually you know what i think it was an original um i do remember it because it has followed me around for years it was a god-awful song um, <laughs> uh, it was called Angel. Um, I didn't really know how to play guitar. I knew like a chord and a half, and I was um, fourteen. <laughs> and so I played it for a few of my first like open mics and that sort of thing. You know, nothing real. And I actually did have like two gigs just through some people I knew. They had like some charity events, so I got you know like a few bucks for that. Uh, but Angel, that was that was it. I even put it uh, when I was 16. I made a terrible record. It's terrible. Uh, you can check it out. It's awful. I wouldn't suggest it. Uh, <laughs> you definitely know I'm putting old. links into that one now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not that great. But I knew nothing about music. Nothing like Americana whatever's left. But uh, it was called Good Time Charlie. And the first song on it was uh, Angel, and uh, it was pretty awful. I've actually rewritten, rewritten all those songs just for just to see if I could, you know, just to, to make them suck a little less. <laughs> uh, actually, they don't suck that much anymore, but uh, the original recordings you can look at, they're all awful. But yeah, it was, it was Angel. I was so proud of that. Terrible. <laughs> that's the, that's the, the other thing, right? evolution of the music is something that like i remembered going through like i said like my my singer in the band he's just got this like just notes like basically like a poetry style book with weird stuff all over it and and he would just be like all right and you tap it into a rhythm you're like okay cool cool let's let's just go dig and he's like he remembers a word and he's like ah all right flip 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 right find some sentence some phrase that he wrote and then from there would like carry on and we would do stuff and i remember recording on this like sorry i'm i'm an old i'm an old dude so i recorded on like four track like like old school cassettes putting four tracks and then bouncing it down on physical tracks, which means that basically you get bleed between the tracks. So it just destroys the dynamics of it. But Hey, to us, it was like, Holy crap, we recorded, you know, a song and we actually managed to squeeze in layered guitars and stuff, but we would do this and then you would record it. And then like a month later, 
you almost like forget how that song was recorded because you'd listen to something else and it would start to adapt. And then you realize like, oh man, that's the real song. Like it's living, yeah. it's breathing, it's organic. And that's, that's actually one of the best things because that the emotion just gets carried forward into a new vessel, I guess. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, if you release it, I know that's different, just keeping it on a track in, you know, your bedroom. But if you yeah. release it out to the world and it's on the radio and stuff and, uh, you know, people hear it and connect with it, um, it grows even because obviously I can't change them now. They're, they're there. I mean, I could do a remastered version one day, but they're, that's them. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I also think that they, they evolve and they grow and they're living in a, in a different sense by uh, the way people, people look at them. You know, all the time people come up and tell me, you know, you somebody is my and my wife's song or whatever. Uh, and they'll tell me why and they'll give me their little life story. And I'm just thinking, and I'm telling them, you know, that's great. It's terrific. Thank you. But I'm just thinking, I don't know how the hell you got that. <laughs> I don't know. That's not a great song to have with you and your wife, man. <laughs> you didn't listen to that song properly. But it has a different meaning and a different connotation to them. I think it's so beautiful that I could. You know, this thing that I wrote so specifically about my life could could mean something so similar to somebody in a completely different situation. And I did have that intent uh, to give it a little bit of vagueness so that could happen. Yeah, it, it, it took off so much further than I thought it ever could. Well, this is the interesting thing you you're handing it to the listener for them to interpret and you have to sort of surrender to how it's going to be interpreted that's got to be a weird feeling like because you almost want to like no man that's not it's not what it's about like poetry songwriting artistry when the artist is not there we're all like oh yeah this is what he meant when he drew it and you can see like it's the it's the the shades of yellow that were in the sun and and the sunflowers of the in the side of france and you're like no just the dude's kid really liked yellow so that's why <laughs> yeah. yellow. but you're doing that you have to effectively give this thing and then listen to how people enjoy it and interpret it what's that like um it's like I made something that's better than myself. Like a, I don't know, like I'm like I'm Doctor Frankenstein, and now uh, I don't know, and now the monster is designing skyscrapers. I'm like, well, crap! Uh, you did a better job than I did. Uh, <laughs> I made you, and you can barely talk. You know, it, you know. <laughs> so uh, it's it's humbling and a little awkward at first sometimes. Uh, I once played a acoustic show, just a little one man show, and um, I think it was in Fort Worth. And some people came out, and they were they were sitting kind of in the middle, so I couldn't really tell who it was. And you know, at the acoustic show, sometimes we'll tell little stories and little. You know, I wrote this when I was on the road, and about this and that. Uh, you know, not all the time, just sometimes. And some lady went, "No, it's not." I'm like. <laughs> Okay. And I just started playing it. Like, I didn't even know what to say. Like, I wrote it. Like, I don't know what to say. Guess it ain't. Fair enough. Good point. You got me. 
you get heckled at a at a at a show that's 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 definitely a new but it's it is amazing to see how people can connect it to their experience at the time just in the same way that when you when you drove by your high school you remember the car you had you remember the music that was on the radio every morning for the last semester that you were there like there there's all this connective memories that are there that are very situational that are very specific and then years go by and they they're there they're always there like some of it bleeds and fades but it really is funny how now that you're the guy that's creating that point in time experience that you have and giving it to somebody in 15 years they're going to be driving by their high school going like man i remember listening to that charlie cope album and this was like I got some stuff done in that car, <laughs> whatever it's going to be. Right. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. It doesn't always, uh, yeah. I don't always think about that. It doesn't always hit me that these songs could, um, I didn't really, I definitely didn't expect them to be as popular as they are. I didn't expect them to get on the charts, much less seven of them. Uh, and so many different charts as well and all around the world and I see bands that are covering it and everything and uh, I, I didn't expect it. I, I, I knew I'd get a couple fans uh, by this time in my career, but I didn't I didn't think I'd have nearly as many as I do. This is uh, it's, it's a little little weird. <laughs> yeah, well, I tell you it's it's earned and deserved. Uh, and so on that, Right, Charlie. The when did you know this was your career? Um, when I uh, oh, it's gonna sound corny. Uh, when I told the girl this is what I was gonna do. Uh, the girl in this when I told someone special this is what I was gonna do. Uh, I don't know. Uh, she didn't really say anything. She just kind of looked at me funny. And uh, she had this like look in her eyes. I'll never forget. We were kids. It was a million years ago. But uh, and then I started showing her all my songs. She's like, "All right, Charlie, you need to, you need to shut the hell up now." But <laughs> it was uh, just that was like it's a it was a it was a cool feeling because she knew the first songs. They knew she knew it was about her. Um, and I don't know, it was kind of a really cool feeling. And then, uh, you know, years later, when I start seeing people, you know, they're telling me about the songs and how they feel for them. Uh, it just, the the career grew. I knew this is what I was, probably the only thing I was actually capable of doing. Uh, and then putting a, the finding more and more and more reasons to it. Uh, just the career itself also was also a living entity. It also grew. And uh, so did my reasoning behind it. The business is weird, especially now, right? With like, this, people don't get this, that you going to produce and and release an album, there's, there's lawyers, there's craziness, there's leaps of faith. There are contracts that you're going to look back on in 20 years and weep about. You know, you hear some of the stories even just the simplest things like co-writing credits and songwriting credits, so like stuff like that. I remember hearing like Billy Corgan talking about, he's like, be careful what you, what decisions you make at the start, because 15 years in when you're the one getting the check, 
and the five people that are on tour with you for 15 years aren't getting the same check, there's a very weird thing about being the voice, the songwriter, the creator, and having a great supporting crew. But you're you have to think about weird future stuff when you don't even know it's real yet, as you're like just trying to get yourself out there. That's gotta be a strange sensation of seeing it as a business while also just being a performer. Uh yeah, and especially uh, in my head, I'm still that 14 overweight kid with the goofy haircut, you know, so uh, I don't necessarily think, you know, I need to get my band some NDAs because when I give them the the schedule for the next album, we can't tell that on the radio. We can't tell that in magazines or, uh, you know, my drummer's like, hey, Charlie, I just I just bought a magazine. Your face is on it. So like that's a, <laughs> like, do you put it there? Like with a sticky note like what like that's a that's a weird feeling so uh and then the whole business side uh i don't necessarily think of those things right away uh it's more of like uh hey guys you want to go grab a burger and i can show you the new songs that i have not here's your nda before i show you these songs you know (laughs) that's right it's very weird it's very weird but uh luckily i have a lot of great mentors on the music side and the business side and they've uh they've helped me out and I found those uh, really early in my career. So uh, I did have a, a jump start for when things start moving. I kind of already knew what was going to, what I needed to go down. How much of the scene sort of impacted your ability to get close to music? Because I'd say in, in Texas, there's definitely a very strong music scene and there seems to be an understanding of the talent that's in the area. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to go through there. There, like Tennessee's got its own scene. Of course, you got New Orleans got its own style. Everybody's got these very localized groups. But having sort of close proximity access to a real industry, not just big oil, but big music, it's it's it must have been helpful. I'd say uh, versus some poor guy that's up in North Dakota just trying to make this happen. <laughs> Yeah, his neighbor lives a mile away. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was it was a huge impact on me actually. Um, so, like I said earlier, uh, mentors. I take mentors everywhere I can. Uh, uh, I'm always trying to learn something, no matter how much I think I know about something. I don't know much about it, and uh, especially like we said earlier, you know, this business is very weird and constantly adapting. Um, so advice that I had or lived by or even gave just a year ago might not be true anymore, uh, especially with COVID. Um, so a lot of, a lot of my inspirations came from local musicians, probably even more so than, you know, Tom Petty or Bob Dylan, you know, that I might've grew up listening to. Uh, I think those local guys, especially, uh, around Houston, I think around Dallas, Fort Worth, it's a little bit more country around Houston. Uh, there's a lot more, there's a lot more blues and there's a lot more Americana. So it's really folky. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, for uh, like, it's kind of John Prine is big. Towns Van Zant is huge. Uh, so listening to those guys, and uh, um, that's a lot of storytelling there and really intricate lyrics. Uh, hanging out with those guys and like, uh, you know, this person taught me how to write a set list and this person taught me how to put on a show other than the music. And this person, uh, uh, my buddy Van Buchanan, 
uh, taught me how to write a catchy song, right? And um, actually, I met Van at a JP Hop's house, which is one of my favorite bars in the whole world. Weird thing to say when you're 20. And uh, <laughs> it's been one of my favorite bars since I was very a lot younger. I don't want to say how younger because I don't want to get them in trouble. I wouldn't drink there. I would just go there to play. Uh, but some of the like top singer songwriters come around and they'll uh, they'll hang out every now and then. I was part of the National Songwriter Association. I was part of the Houston Songwriter Association. A few other things too. And just uh, everyone would just go there and play. And that was just like one of the hot spots. And I would go do that and do open mics before I had a bunch of gigs. Uh, I would even do like seven or eight open mics in one day. Just so I was like, okay, this song was too slow. They said it needs to be faster. Okay, this one was you know, too fast. needs to be slower. And this person did this and this person did that. Try to learn from everywhere I could go. So the the, the scene around there was, was very big. It, the, the interesting thing too is the the weird transparency to the writing process there is a lot of that right and some people you know maybe especially later in their career they're like no f all y'all this is what the song is going to sound like whether you like it or not you know this is, this is how it's going out but early on as you find that voice find your style and and figure it out like sometimes just through that creative process you got to test it and audience testing it's like like comedians do this all the time, right? They'll go out and they just do little like eight minute spots, you know, here and there. And even big, big, huge comedians, you know, Chappelle shows up at the comedy store and, and he'll do, you know, 10 minutes, which really blows up the poor bugger who's on after yeah. him. <laughs> Didn't know that he was going to show up, but then that material gets matured and tested and worked on. And then you, Sometimes it's the room that's wrong. Sometimes it's you that's wrong. Sometimes it's the timing that's wrong. And then over time, all of a sudden you're like, all right, now I've got this, this song that's really ready. And like, it's kind of automatic at that point. But do you, do you like that collaborative audience style writing? Oh, yeah. It's called road testing. Yeah, it's really important. Um, I've done it on every one of these songs. Uh, some more than others. Uh, yeah, it's it's really important because I mean I'm trying to connect with the audience. So our you know I know that's different from a show to a studio, but I'm trying to connect with them. So to get their opinion on it is so huge, and especially because I'm always asking everybody's opinion, even if they don't know anything about music. Um, and so you know I always take whoever I ask, I always take it with a grain of salt. But um, it's, that's really important, especially for me, because, uh, like I said, I've always had a bit of an issue with self-confidence. So I'm like, I don't know, does this work? Does this work? And then I'm like, Charlie, that's like one of your best songs ever. Like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I'm always asking them, and I'm always uh, very cautious about my music. I don't want to release crap that I think is good and no one else does. So uh, I'm always road testing it, and it helps them evolve a whole lot. You ever been, have you ever known that someone was just wrong? And like, Family. Family. Yeah. yeah, they've given me some terrible advice. <laughs> I've, I've had one of them, won't say who, won't say who, but uh, uh, one, one person said, was telling me something. I was like, oh, well, actually, that's, uh, that's illegal. You can't do that. 
Like, well, but I saw a TV show about it. What? Well, yeah, there's a sitcom about a rapper. Uh, and I just I was like, okay, I'm not going to argue with you. You, he was like, I, I know more than you because I watched this sitcom. I was like, okay, that's, I'm a professional. <laughs> um, cool. I'll take your word for it. I got to run though. You know, like, um, I've had people in family tell me um, to stop playing shows for money, start playing gigs for free. Like, that's an interesting approach, you know? A um, ton of people told me to quit so many times. Like, it was, it got so annoying the amounts of times they would tell me to quit. Uh, not every one of them, of course. A lot of, like, my grandfather on my mom's side bought me my first guitar, and he was the first person to tell me I could make it. Uh, and he's even on the album. Uh, oh, wow, that's got, awesome. Yeah, I got him uh, in the intro track with the clapping. Yeah, he's one of the first <laughs> people clapping. Uh, so I got him on that. Uh, but yeah, a couple of them were just like terrible advice, like drop out of college, you know, get a regular job. And it was like, it was like, okay, well, at least get a regular job as like a waiter or in fast food or something, on, you know, until you really make it big. I'm like, I already, and just hold off on the music. Why would I do that? I already, even at this point, I was probably 18. I was like, make less money than I am now. <laughs> Why? And hold off on, you know, the career. Like it, it doesn't make any sense, but it's, it's all good. Uh, you always have to take it all with a grain of salt. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, and you think about every, every musician, every artist, every creator has, has had somebody just say like trash, right? Like <laughs> somebody got the first kiss album. They're like, Mm, I'm just not hearing a hit here. You know, yeah. I, like that was one of the famous things like Joan Jett, you know, like talks about this thing of going to like shopping. I love rock and roll to, you know, 40 different record producers. And they're all like, I, I just can't imagine hearing this on the radio. And yeah. today she's probably still getting six figure checks for it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a great song, but if you really think of it, like, like try to step back it is so it's a great song love joan jet one of my favorites but it's so extremely cheesy right yeah well that's it and it's this is the interesting thing too have you have you got songs that people love that you hate or let the, you're not hate sorry that's a stress as a bit of a dark word but <laughs> songs that you're like oh, i wish people didn't like this as much as they did because i kind of feel like it's either boxed into a period of time or maybe the style wasn't quite how you want it um breaking down never felt so good is one of mine and, and that's a great song i love to play it it hurts my arms to play it but it's a great song <laughs> um it's really fast it hurts especially the the poor drummer because he's going to town on that tambourine for yeah, yeah. and when we play it live it's longer um so uh that one but if you do it at like a one-man show or like a two-man show or some, something like that it's not always as good that way so i'll get like people to clap along and stuff uh but if the crowd isn't as responsive it doesn't it just doesn't work as well so i don't play it uh in that event like you said you gotta update yeah. the set list as it goes uh but sometimes people just like request it i've even had people request it like three times in one four-hour show <laughs> <laughs> and if the crowd was so not into it 
and it was just a one-man show so I didn't have the band I was like don't think oh okay but um because I mean I wrote it so it's if I get a song request for one that I wrote it's kind of hard to avoid playing that but uh that's it's also just a pain to play and I gotta do all the solos by myself if I'm playing acoustically that don't get no easier no sir no no that's it it's like the the acoustic uh fretboard and string uh tension is not designed for that kind of playing you know i mean there are guys that i'm always amazed i i there's a guy who's a subway musician in toronto where i was where i was raised and and i remember going through every day and he would play it's like bitter cold he's wearing fingerless gloves and he's playing this crazy like high speed like spanish flamenco stuff and then he's but then it it turns out he also played like heavy duty like prog rock as well Mm -hmm. and he's like so he's he's like he started playing on an acoustic and he's like i can't do this dude (laughs) he's like it's just you you break down fast and he plays all the time and he's like nope this is not good for your soul or body to do this (laughs) and uh I have several guitars on on the stage, but one of my main guitars, one a lot of the pictures are with uh, Jesse. Actually, I have it right here. Uh, these are uh, custom strings, so they're so they're really really thick and they're really heavy. Yeah, uh, yeah. they're they're hardly guitar strings. They're more like steel bridge cables. <laughs> what what's the gauge on that from? Uh this is where we nerd out for all the people that you want if you want to tap out for a few minutes we're going to nerd out on some guitar tech (laughs) oh yeah you can even hear you fighting to bend like you know that those are some thick strings but what a beautiful tone though oh yeah love this guitar it's a i named her after a jesse coulter oh yeah yeah very cool yeah, uh, all my guitars have names. Uh, oh yeah, we're gonna nerd out uh, over here. I, just because I oh there you go, nice. I I did just because uh, you know I got a collection of guitars around to show you. This is one my wife got this for me, and I I was actually particularly proud of this one. Less about so it's hard to see. It's not gonna focus. That's uh, signed by Ed Sheeran, and oh, cool. uh, and it says, "Please play, don't display." I'm like. Yes, sir. <laughs> I play this thing all the time. This is a Martin. It's like a baby guitar. This is Ed Sheeran's like model. I think Ed Sheeran must be four feet tall because this is a tiny. It's just like a little wee guitar. But so it feels funny because I play a seven string. So when I pick up even a six string, it feel I feel like Jimi Hendrix's hands wrapping around the uh, around the neck. So this thing, it's like it feels like junior size, but it's it's fantastic. The sound like this little tiny Martin guitar, but and it's just like just big thick sound, and oh, I love the warmth of it. Please play. Do not display. I like. I might steal that. <laughs> that is, you got to put that on someone's guitar. That man, is, I've uh, signed plenty of guitars, man. It always freaks me out. Like, are you sure? Like, you want? me like <laughs> you well, don't want me to sign like your your beer cane or something i do that a lot <laughs> that is that's an interesting thing too right is that your 
there's this different level that you get, right? Because some people want you to sign a thing. It has both a meaning in that moment and they see this longevity of the meaning. And it's really amazing to, to be able to, to mean that to somebody, right? That's, that's gotta be pretty wild. And then at the same time, you're just like, I, it's like a $3,000 guitar, dude. Maybe you should, can I just sign a piece of paper? Like maybe a book yeah. or something? <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of my like biggest fears uh, is like I'm going to misspell their name on their guitar or, <laughs> with you know, a nice big thick sharpie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just oh, I would feel like such a tool if I did that. Like so, like you can see me if there's like a every now and then at the bigger shows there'll be like a line of a couple of people that want me to sign stuff and they'll take pictures of me and stuff. Uh, you can see the panic in my eyes. <laughs> Now, this is the fun part because I know there's nothing worse than me like dance for me, right? <laughs> because you come on, we want to talk and and but at the same time, if I don't even know the legality of can I play your songs if you're playing your songs on my podcast at least and like am I going to get busted for a DMCA? I don't know how how that whole works, but you have my permission, you can play my music as much as you like. There you go, folks. That's for the music lawyers. We hear that. There you go. Yeah. Well, Charlie, man, it'd be a real honor if you wanna if you wanna play a little bit for us. I would love to uh, to mix up. Be the first time I've ever had a live player on the uh, on the podcast, and then you know let's and then we can jump back into some more of the tech. Yeah, sure. Uh, do you have a favorite? No, you know what? This is I'm gonna say this is artist pick. Uh, if you had the the song that you wanted people to to know that. You know, this is the start of your listening journey. Throw down. Um, make sure I'm in tune. I'm not. Let's switch. Back <laughs> Let's switch back. This is this is half the battle. Yep. It's at least I'm inside, not out in the cold. Oh, there's nothing worse than playing outdoor gigs, and you're like, this is this is not going to go well. And temperature changes make a mess. Your fingers turn to sausages. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, when I grew up, I mean, I grew up, I'm in New Jersey now, but I grew up in Toronto and 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 it was disturbing. We'd go and play outdoor gigs. So you're sitting around a campfire. So your guitar is like hot on the front. Your back is whole, cold from the winter. And you're, it's it's a bad scene that I've got an old Seagull guitar, which is basically almost the same style as a Martin. It's an open top, so not laminated. This thing's been through wars. I still the price tag on it. I bought it when I was like 22. So it's like, it's like 25 years old. And I still love this guitar. But man, it's a miracle. It's still with me these days. And the action is still like super low. It's, uh, it's a beautiful play. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Yeah. I, I, I see like William Prince playing outdoor in the snow oh. on New Year's Eve in Canada. Yeah. I was like, oh God, not just guitar, but also your vocals. Like, oh, I, I'm, I'm wearing a Carhartt if I'm outside and like anything below 70. <laughs> exactly. All right, um, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. I could say Charlie Cope. <laughs> Can you 
you hear the guitar okay? Yeah, it's actually pretty cool. So that's uh, so the cool thing, the SignalWire platform that I use, it actually plays pretty cleanly. And technically, I can actually talk while you're playing, and it records both. It's not like Zoom, where it like cuts out one when someone else starts talking. It actually multiplexes audio. That's another nerd bit for the folks that are used to networking and studio recording. So, um, But yeah, that's why it doesn't cut off as bad. Zoom is horrible to play on, because any change in dynamics, it tries to auto adjust and it just it just blows up the dynamics that's pretty cool yeah so uh, we talked about a uh, best stick I ever made a couple times uh, let's see if I can get it work we'll do a little little different version so uh, guess you heard about my reputation it's my fault for promoting it so long should have stood up to the allegations. Well, you took it around away with some. Yeah, I miss seeing your Pontiac in my driveway. Stuck staring at me, or your spotted me. Yeah, I know you're not driving back my way. Yeah. Guess you finally realized, yeah, I'm just a mistake that you made. It's the best mistake you ever made. Yeah, I guess you stopped. Guessing if we work out, you're you a long time ago. You went back to your boyfriend seven years well. Good luck with that shit show. Our story was riddled with disaster. We were never meant to make it anyway. I look back and all I see is the laughter. But you look back and you see a mistake that you made. It's the best mistake I ever made. You were matching, passionate, dancing in the green hall. Dancing around you, I just been thrown my head like Jason Hess will told our story. So I showed you Willie Nelson's song. It was only temporary. So I thought that you might, even instead of slipping away. With the best mistake ever made. <sighs> I love it. It's beautiful. Sorry, man. My, my voice might be a little bit out of tune. I didn't. I didn't warm up or anything. 
No, I know. That's one of the worst too. I'm like, it's one thing as a guitarist, you can like, you can always sort of mess with your fingers and get ready. But, uh, so thank you for being on the spot and, and, and nailing it, dude. That was very, 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 very cool. And it, I tell you perfect setup. Cause one of my favorite questions that I love to ask people, which I'm pretty sure I stole from somebody like Tim Ferriss <laughs> and it is thematic to the, to the song. What is the worst thing that's happened to you that you're the most thankful for? Good one. Uh, worst thing that's happened to me that I'm thankful for. Uh, it might not all be great, but well, I was gonna say it might not all be great, but uh, it all worked out in the end, so none of it's terrible. But there's there's quite a bit of terrible stuff. I mean, as you can probably tell if you Google me enough, look up other magazines, a lot of people know I have I have my history battling addiction and. You know, I was homeless for a little while, which actually the homeless thing wasn't that bad at all. Um, uh, I also don't want to spoil any future songs. But, uh, <laughs> That's all good. Uh, I had uh, I had some problems with this girl, and uh, she had some problems in her personal life, and uh, it just it just killed me to see her and her struggling with her own problems. Uh, but I think that made both of us a lot stronger and if she didn't have to deal with those problems she wouldn't have been able to uh she wouldn't have been able to brace the ones that were coming you know uh i know that didn't really happen to me but seeing someone that i love struggle that's it's definitely worse than anything that could ever happen to myself quite right, often got, no that's that's good, man. That's that's why that's why that's why you never open with that question. You know, you you want to or in that would be a weird ender too. <laughs> nah, but you know, and and you've you shared before about your personal journey and and some of the challenges you faced, and you know, this industry, you know, the music industry. I say this industry like I'm in it, but you know, I know of it. And I got a lot of friends that are, that are in the music industry and, and performers and, you know, everything, TV, radio, it's a real weird, just on a good day. It's a weird life because it's very non-structured. It, it requires you to build a lot of coping mechanisms to normalcy right like there is no normal for, by the standard definition and it's funny when you see a lot of folks right people see like dave mustaine from megadeth and then he starts he speaks three languages and he's read he talks about all his philosophies read and writing and people are like but you're the lead singer in a heavy metal band They're like this dude's got a lot of free time and he's fighting addiction so he has built a lot of coping mechanisms and and things that allowed him to compensate for time he be you know i could be on the tour bus and then going into the city copping you know and then heading back to the bus or i can read a goddamn shakespeare and and really get into something that keeps me busy so when you go into an industry that is non-structured where you have to sort of build your own safety into your 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 life how's that how does that work well 
I took control of a lot. Uh, I, I don't really like depending on others, especially in this industry. I mean, there's been so many times when people have asked me, some other groups, some some soul and pop singers in a blues band, we were all going to go on tour together. And they, they came to me, they approached me, they gave me all the numbers, uh, and we even had contracts. And then the whole tour kind of fell apart. And uh, I mean, I, I knew I had contracts. I could have done something, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm, it, it's not like I was being taken advantage of or anything like that. So, uh, you know, it unfortunately fell apart. So, uh, you know, I rolled with it. I just said, you know, no worries, you know, keep me in mind in the future. Let me know if you need anything, that sort of thing. Keep in touch. And we didn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, you know, I didn't, I really dislike depending on other people. I'm very independent. I'm a very independent person. Uh, so, you know, I started up my, uh, I did everything myself, you know, so all the tours I go on now, uh, they're my tours. And if I run in, I, they do sometimes intersect with other people's tours, you know, Parker McCollum and, uh, William Clark Green, Randall King, and stuff like that. Uh, we will intersect, but it's always if I'm on tour, is my tour, uh, at least for the next few years. So it's it's all. If when I'm the boss, I have so much more control. I don't have complete control, but I have right. a lot more control. And I think the people that work for me, my promoters and agents and musicians, I think they realize that that I am extremely professional in what I do. Uh, and I'm also a man of my word, and so I will go above and beyond to you know, say what I mean. I mean what I say. Uh, and sometimes, like I said, things things happen. COVID happens. I don't think anyone really uh, only a couple no one had people, that in a plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, only only a couple people really gave me a hard time and like, well, why does this happen like this? Well, COVID. Like most people, ninety percent of people are like, oh, okay, that's cool. No problem. Yeah. Understandable. <laughs> but uh um yeah, I try to take take control as much as I could and be be very professional. And I also expect uh and ask that everyone that that works with me uh try to do the same, you know. Uh and I also I hold that very uh, you know, somebody's word it means a whole lot to me. So I will I am a very trusting person, but I'm also, you know, I think I am where I am because I learn everywhere I go and I get mentors and all that. So I'm a trusting person, but I'm also going to learn. So if, you know, if your word falls apart a bunch of times, I'm going to learn, like I'm going to, you know, uh, unfortunately as it, as it may be. Uh, so I try to take as much control as I can, uh, even if that's not necessarily the healthiest way to deal with it. Well, and, uh, I'm actually going to, I'll say it's not even as much control as responsibility. You you put the responsibility on yourself, but you because you're giving back into it, right? It's not just I'm taking controls and I don't trust anybody. You're taking controls and I'm ultimately responsible for the outcome here. And I'm going to depend on other people occasionally, but I want them to be responsible. And if they fail to meet that bar, then the responsibility goes back to me. So it's a weird thing that we still talk about the word control. And some people say like, Charlie, you're controlling because you do everything. You're like, it's, there's a very big difference between control and responsibility. Control is power. Responsibility is ownership. Yeah. Big difference. I definitely don't have much power, but I definitely have a whole bunch of ownership. <laughs> you, you sure own the outcomes. Yeah. But it's, it's uh 
it's a huge lift, right? Especially because it's not just you, you've got performers, AR, PR people, you've got, you know, contracts to uphold, you've got take care of your body, take care of yourself to perform all the time. People don't get like, if I get sick, I just call in sick. Like you're out on the road, you're sick, you're gargling lemon and salt water and spewing it out your nose and doing weird stuff to like flush your sinuses in between sets because you can't stop. That's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we have protocols. If, if any of the band members ever get sick on the road, we have protocols for that because I yeah. can, as a singer, that's the worst thing that can happen. Yeah. Oh, terrible. I remember hearing that was a, it was a funny thing. It was uh, Billy Corgan was on, he was getting interviewed. I think it was on, on a, and it was Opie and Anthony. They were in New York, their talk show. And, uh, and like 40 minutes into the interview, the guy's like, yeah, sorry. He says like, there's water everywhere. Cause I've been sick for like two straight days. I'm just trying to stay hydrated. And, he, and Corgan just says to him, yeah, it was perfect. This is a great time to tell me. Cause it's not like my voice is my job. Yeah. <laughs> Like I've been sitting in this tiny little glass room yeah. with you for 40 minutes and you're breathing on me, you bastard. <laughs> yeah. uh, when I was in the hill country, uh, like hill country area of Texas on tour, uh, I played 23 hours in uh, eight days. Wow. Well, I think it was, I think it was like 13 gigs or something. I don't know. It was something like that. It was 23 hours in eight days. And so, uh, I was sick as a dog because I can't eat the day of a show until afterwards because it'll mess up my voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I wasn't eating because I was having like multiple shows in a day. Uh, I wasn't eating till like really late at night. And if I had a morning gig, then, you know, I'm not going to be able to eat. So and I wasn't sleeping because I also had to do all the, you know, all the business side stuff. And yeah, the album was soon to come and everything. So I was sick as a dog and I got tested for COVID and I was negative. So cool. But it was just like, you know, you probably should try sleeping i'm like well i can't you know so um so yeah i was terribly sick for like two weeks because i couldn't get better because i couldn't sleep so i couldn't i couldn't heal it was terrible it, it's the strain on your voice it's like because you're i mean it's a muscle right and it's like people have sore muscles they they, they take an advil or Tylenol, whatever you're like, there is no Advil for your throat. Like you can ultimately there, try. There and, is. You, you, you can get Walgreens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's right. <laughs> the the catch with you know having to do this, especially yeah, you're doing morning gigs. You do morning radio for an, for an evening gig, and they want you to perform. It's it's really really hard to just like be on all the time and sometimes when you're touring that's that's it. it there is no real break yeah uh i'm i'm a i'm a, I'm a workaholic at this point um I'm, I'm a very addictive personality uh i've actually been awake for 48 hours give or take uh i've been working a lot um said this will come out in december so i can say this we have we have two tours next year wow uh, unbelievable Congratulations yeah. in advance, man. This is, it must feel good to know that the road is calling again. In, in many ways, yes, I absolutely love it. In other ways, like, you know, getting sick for two weeks because I can't heal, that's, that one sucks. Yeah. Uh, 
the cheap Airbnbs, you know, uh, the road is really weird because uh, it's trying to, like a coping mechanism, kind of like you said, uh, one night you could play for 1,500 people, people could screen your name, you could be signing guitars, you could, you know, uh, music legends that you grew up listening to could just be hanging out in the green room and want to jam with you. And that's just an amazing feeling. You know, that could be like your Friday night and then your Saturday night, you could be playing for in a small dive bar for 25 people. It's, it's such a weird, just, and it could be the very next night. It's so weird. And just trying to cope with that, that, that just huge high and huge lows as you're just trying to make a, you know, a living and, you know, connect with people and do whatever you're trying to do in, in, uh, in your music or your job. And then just the, the, the ups and the downs are just so much bigger than any other ups and downs in any, you know, most normal jobs. Um, and I think a lot of musicians try to cope with that, that and the workload with, you know, chemical dependence. Uh, yeah. and it, it's, it's definitely um, an easy thing to get into. Yeah, I mean, it's that that's the challenge, and it's it's just there, right? That it's like people say, like, I don't understand why people get into like you don't even have to be a real pro musician. Like, you just go. I, I used to do like Tuesday night gigs at some like you know you're playing like with four other bands and there's 25 people and then you realize it's because it's the bands and their girlfriends that's mm -hmm. the 25 you're playing for <laughs> but your place you're playing for half price drink tickets you're not even getting paid but it was like hey it just it's time on stage it's practice you know it's fun sometimes people show up you never know and even in those situations you could see in the peer level it was it was very easy to get into much more than just the beer behind the bar. And I was lucky enough to avoid, you know, avoid that, that culture altogether, but you, it's an, it's a tough and active choice that you got to make all the time. And people don't realize that it's such a weird, like, it's just, it's intrinsic. It's actually buried in the, in the lifestyle. Yeah. And it's free and it's a, uh... Um, I don't want to give peer pressure because like everyone says that, but I mean, at some point, uh, it's almost like just excessive guerrilla marketing. It's, yeah. I even, I almost bought a, bought a t-shirt for like $80 yesterday. I was like, what am I doing? Like, <laughs> are like 10? What am I doing? These aren't even 10. Just because I see the ad everywhere I go. I was like, you know what? I don't have any nice t-shirts and the, it's just, everywhere and it, when you're on the road it really is everywhere and that's one of those things that you know uh, as you know if it's it's my tour bus it's got my face on it or at least part of my face on it because the wrapping didn't come out great and uh, <laughs> you know it, it uh it's 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 all mine and i don't care what you do as long as you know you're safe and doesn't affect the show it's none of my business but uh i can take some some control some responsibility for it uh, Again, like you said, two different things, but I can, uh, like, okay, hey, man, at this show, I, I've played this venue before with another group. They do have a lot of drugs going on backstage. Also, you're going to meet a couple celebrities, and it's such a weird, weird toss-up, and I know that they're like, yeah, let's do, let's, yeah, let's do some coke with, leave his name, celebrity, and that's, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, 
it's totally something I get and something I've done so much more than any human being should have. But I'm, but at least I did it, got through it, got sober the last time I got sober and I, uh, I can use it as an experience, even if I am a little bit terrified of it now, uh, I can, you know, I can, I can look back with, with experience and know how it, and also, I mean, you meet so many people that, you know, uh, they could they could be ODing or getting in dangerous situations or something like that. And like, whoa, hold up. I know exactly what to do. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's kind of sad that you, you end up having to be part-time paramedic. You know, you almost got to be ready for that kind of stuff. And it's, uh, I mean, a lot of people don't get off those buses. Yeah. We we have some clauses. Um, like I said, if it's on, it's on my business, but I... Uh, I, uh, I do have a van and anyone that needs a ride is, uh, encouraged. Yeah. Uh, uh, I used to say, uh, you know, driving under the influence is cool. As long as you can handle it. I don't think that anymore. Um, it's, 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 I've seen it go very bad, especially with musician egos. Yeah. It, it can go very bad. We, we have, even if it's a home gig, we do have to drive sometimes an hour or two just for a home gig. And, uh, you know, it can go bad 2 a.m. Oh, that's it. You know, and it's all it takes is just, uh, it's very easy. Yeah. You're already tired. You're amped up. You get a couple of drinks and you're like, it's only, you know, like I used to even like comedians do this all the time. Like "Ah, I'm in playing New York, just going to drive back to Boston. And it's like, that's a three hour drive. You're going to be, even if the ultimate intoxication, you're just going to fall asleep. Like yeah. no other stuff. Like there's a lot of dangers that are present that are not normal for most people. Mm-hmm. And you're, you have to think about stuff that's very different, which is, uh, goes to that thing of responsibility. And, and I appreciate it. You can tell in the way you even tell the story of it, how much it, it impacts and it's, it's inside you. So it's, you got a lot of success. And I guess here's the, the fun question. When will you be able to say, I've made it? What's your mark? Unfortunately, I don't think I'm, I don't think myself as a person, I don't think I'm capable. And I don't think myself as a businessman, I don't think I'm able. Uh, two very different things. But as, uh, as a person, I don't think I'm capable uh, because no matter how many uh, people come up to Walmart, uh, and say, you're the music dude. Uh, I can't, I just can't see myself as someone who's like a big deal. And that, that's not even my, my view has made it. My, my goal is to connect with people. And so there's not a, there's not a number on that. I just, you know, I don't think there's any real possible way to connect with everybody. Uh, so there isn't a number. It's not how many people come out to the shows or how much, money or tour or billboards have my face on them right now the numbers two by the way and uh, <laughs> uh in total not not right now just in total yeah um but it's just connecting with people so i don't think there's ever you know that number to get to um so i don't think i'll ever be able to actually make it it's just a my little crusade of love peace and kumbayaness I think it's cool. Yeah. It, and it's because even if you do get to whatever the next level is, your your personal responsibility won't let you stop. 
And uh, it's a beautiful thing when you can take your band with you, you know, bring other people so you can support a team of, you know, PR people around you, like to be able to actually employ people and do what you love. And I got a huge respect for you for doing this. It's, it's really amazing. And, and like, look, it shows in the music. It's really fantastic. You're, uh, you're, you're a fantastic performer and writer. And if you hadn't done that bad album, then you, you, this would be your bad album. So you got it out of the way. That's. <laughs> you know I'm hoping that 10 years down the road, I'll think the same one about this one. Cause that just means I grew. I got yeah. better. That's, that's what I'm hoping. Well, Charlie, you got a lot more than 10 glorious and, and well-earned years ahead of you, uh, especially you got seven in you already and you're 20. So it's a good start. You're not even able to drink legally at most of these places. They got to fire you in the back door and, and try and hide you from the uh, from the bouncers. That's always a weird thing too, right? When you're playing and you're under under legal age, it's like they can obviously do it. They can furnish you getting in and out, but it's there's like all sorts of weird stuff that gets wrapped around that one, I imagine. Well, I've had this beard on and off since I was actually since I was 14. So um, it's, it's, <laughs> uh, the beard and my hair is up in a bun now. So uh, that helps, too. So uh, it's so weird because like the bouncers have no idea how old I am. Nobody knows how old I am unless they you know look at the magazines and stuff. So uh, uh, I've had like bouncers and venue owners hang out with me because I'll hang out sometimes after the venue closes and uh, they'll just be complaining about these kids trying to sneak in and i'm like 16 i'm like man these college kids and like i'm a sophomore in high school and i'm just like yeah man they're they're terrible you know but uh I remember going to this. I I grew up in this tiny little town. It was like a farm town, and I I I like knew every everybody knew everybody. Right, it's like literally like two thousand person town, and uh, and there's a place called the Village Inn, which is like the perfect name for the local you know drinking you know, hole, and uh, and I would go into the Village Inn all the time. And I remembered going there for like a year and a half and then celebrating my 19th birthday. So you're in Canada drinking ages 19 and watching the you, you pull out your driver's license for real now. And, you know, they're like, hey, what's the, what's the big occasion? I'm like turning 19 today. And they're like, wait a minute. I reckon I know you. <laughs> You've been going here for a long time. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's all good we won't tell anybody's story we'll save that till the statute of limitation runs out <laughs> there you go charlie thank you very much this has been a real pleasure and there you go folks uh charliecopemusic.com lots of great links down below get the album and uh if you can't afford the album i'll buy you the goddamn album so it's that good uh you, there's lots of ways you can get it so do so support amazing musicians and a whole ecosystem and uh charlie i hope to see you on the road hopefully one day uh i'll be able to bump into you backstage somewhere on on the 2022 tour now that the world is opening up a little bit it's been a real pleasure to chat yeah thank you again for having me on